Blog Talk Radio. Mysteries on the BookSpeak Network. I'm Sherry Knowlton. Uh, I write the Alexa Williams series of books featuring a young lawyer who keeps getting involved in dangerous situations. Dead of Autumn, Dead of Summer, and Dead of Spring are the books. I'm currently working on, you guessed it, Dead of Winter. Sunbury Press publishes our mystery and suspense novels under its mystery imprint, Milford House. Today on Milford House Mysteries, Joan and I are going to discuss some of the elements of suspense. And hi, I'm Jan West. I write the Carlisle Crime Cases series, Dying for Vengeance, Courting Doubt and Darkness, Darkness at First Light, and How to Dying Fall, featuring homicide detectives Christopher Snow and Aaron McCoy. All are now available on Kindle, and the entire series is bundled together for eleven ninety six. How's that for a bargain? My newest book, Thing Strangled, I hope to be released in the fall of 2018. Mystery and suspense novels are extremely popular due to the fact that readers like that vicarious thrill, that edge-of-your-seat feeling that mysteries, suspense, crime, and horror stories contain. How does the author achieve that? Well, according to the oldest and best source we have, Edgar Allan Poe, he said that every word, every literary element should work toward building an element of suspense. And he was referring to mood. These elements are basic to every type of fiction, setting, plot, character, mood, point of view, and theme. But the way an author approaches these elements can be very different in mystery and suspense than, for example, in other types of fiction like fantasy or literary fiction. There are also some additional elements that are more typically found in mystery and suspense. Um, Some of these are the initial hook, uh, red herrings, the plot twist, and then there's those old tropes that we're going to talk about a little bit as well. Today we're going to talk about each of these elements of suspense briefly. And we all know how Snoopy's tales began. It was a dark and stormy night. Setting includes time and place. The creepier, the better. Graveyards, bodies of water, haunted houses, caves, tunnels, abandoned, decayed structures, and natural and man-made disasters, places that suggest danger. And time could be any. Humanity has a long history of war, pestilence, ignorance, bigotry, and fear of the unknown or the different. Thus, we have inhumanity to man, man versus nature, man versus self, and man versus God, the supernatural, the basic conflicts in literature. For example, both Charles Todd and Jacqueline Winsphere used World War I as the backdrop for the inspector Ian Rutledge and the Maisie Dobbs' early exploits. Then postmodern man has taken us to the very brink when an apocalypse seems credible. Yeah, the the notion of 
an apocalypse seems a prevailing mood of our times. Maybe because we're going through an unsettling period in our politics, in the widening gap between rich and poor, and in the rapid expansion of technology in both our personal lives and in the workplace. I guess we'll have to leave that up to the experts. But one thing that um, seems to happen is that when people are looking for comfort um, in their present-day circumstances, for some reason they look at the very worst that can happen. They look at the apocalypse. Um, But on the other hand, it's not always the apocalypse. Um, Some people like to look to other settings uh, for the books that they read or for the stories they enjoy. Um, For example, domestic situations are quite the thing these days. Uh, Just think about all the girl books. Uh, Gone Girl, Girl on the Train, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Um, Although each of these books is set in a different country and um, talks about uh, or deals with a different situation, Um, They all um, have sort of settings that begin with an everyday situation in the current day, and then those tend to devolve, tend to fall apart in suspenseful ways. Mysteries have been around for really almost two centuries, um, when you go back to Edward, Edgar, not Edward, Edgar Allan Poe. Um, and you, you see as you look at mysteries that they often reflect the, the times in which they were written. Um, and then a, a, another thing that has happened in, in recent years is that even uh, mysteries or suspense novels that are written today use history as their backdrop as well, so that the whole genre of historical fiction. Well, perhaps the most critical element of mystery and suspense is the plot. There may be a psychological aspect to the story, or a looming disaster must be averted, or a suspicious death that creates a mystery that has to be solved. The plot drives the mystery and the suspense from a point A, from the very beginning of the book to the last chapter in which the mystery is solved or the crisis ends. Each book begins with an inciting incident, that can be very dramatic or, or even low-key, an assassination, a missing child, an overheard conversation, a murder. Usually the plot of a mystery or suspense novel wraps up at the end of the book. Now, a hint of what's to come in the next series, or a cliffhanger, can come at the end of the book or in the series too, but the basic plot of the book concludes. Usually the debt disaster is avoided, the killer is arrested and the villain is prevented from carrying out his next vile deed. (laughs) (laughs) So let's go on to talk a little bit about plot devices. Um, You know, there's the plot as the basic, but then mystery and suspense writers often use um, some common devices in these genres. Um, The first one, which authors and publishers um, often talk about, is that initial hook. Um, What the initial hook means uh, is in the beginning pages or chapter, what is it um, about the the story that is interesting enough to uh, tell the reader to say, 
oh, yes, uh, this book is interesting to me. I want to read the entire thing. Um, it's often an action item, um, similar to what uh, Joan just talked about. It, it can be a compelling scene that grabs the reader's attention. Uh, in my first book, Dead of Autumn, was that old classic, um, the discovery of a dead body. In this case, it was the dead body of a young girl. Uh, in contrast, I just read a really good book called In a Dark, Dark Wood by Ruth Ware. And that starts with an author uh, who receives an invitation to a bachelorette party. No big deal. But the, tr the interesting thing was that it was for a, p a party for a woman that she hadn't spoken to in years. Different premise, but still enough to hook the reader. Another mainstay of mystery is the red herring. Uh, think about the game Clue for all of you who have played that game. It makes fun of the red herring, actually. Is it the kill, is the killer Colonel Mustard in the library with a candlestick? <laughs> or is it Miss Scarlet in the conservatory with a rope? More seriously, when an author uses red herrings, she plants a few misleading clues which if they've done if if you've done the job successfully as an author it will make the reader think that the bad guy or the bad girl could be any one of a number of people um good example most of us know agatha christie uh books like murder on the orient express well that train is chock through through filled with um people uh, who the reader can suspect, be suspect as the the murderer. Uh, Christie throws one red herring after another to lead her reader astray. Um, a third device used in mystery and suspense often is the plot twist. Uh, in a plot twist, the reader may be sailing along thinking the story is going in one direction, then wham, something unexpected happens and it upends the, slot, the plot, it puts a new slant on things. A classic example um, is, comes from a movie, um, but the movie The Sixth Sense, the, the old one with Bruce Willis, and the kid, um, who is the key character, played by Haley Joe Osment, Joel Osment, he says, I see dead people. And the real twist comes at the end of the movie. Well, another foundational element is character. The main character, who could be a detective, police, PI, doctor, or an amateur sleuth, builds suspense with his or her attributes. Some are like hard-nosed, stubborn, determined loners who had their share of hard knocks or have some physical or psychological challenge that adds to their realism or their and their vulnerability. For example, I just finished reading Heather Gudendahl's Not a Sound. Her, her, pro her protagonist is deaf because of a car accident. Lincoln Rhyme, Jeffrey Deaver's main character, is a quadriplegic. Karen Slaughter's main character, Will Trent, has dyslexia. Others have agoraphobia or traits that, you know, from their past to overcome. One of my detectives in my series, The Carlisle Crime Cases, is Reese Savage. He has PTSD and all its attendant effects, nightmares and sweats, flashbacks, 
a hair-triggered temper that is usually triggered by stressful events, sudden loud sounds, crowds, and other things that he would like to avoid. Um, the hard-boiled detectives from the 40s and the 50s, created by authors Raymond Chandler, Mickey Spillane, up through today's Michael Conley, just to name a few, radiate suspense through their terse dialogue, their brusque habits, and that lead them down the mean streets and eventually face-to-face with a killer. Today's detectives are intimidating. They carry a shield or a badge of authority. They're usually well-trained in criminology, and some who have an expert background in military or defense training, and a license to carry, which makes them lethal. Of course, you know, there's all sorts of uh, characters in mystery and suspense, And other times, the protagonist can be an everyday person thrust into a challenging situation. Um, You know, the Dan Brown books are a little bit of that. You know, this college professor suddenly gets in the middle Mm -hmm. of these uh, complex uh, things that he has to solve, and at the same time, he's uh, running for his life. But always the protagonist needs to be an engaging character, someone the reader can care about because the protagonist often carries the book along with the plot. The villain, actually, can also, the bad guy, can also be someone that the reader may care about or, if not care about, feel strongly about, and that can engage the reader, too. Um, The villain, who could be a stalker, um, a killer, um, something else bad and nasty, Um, that villain is probably the main person in these novels who helps build the suspense or create the mystery. In pure mysteries, um, let's go back to, you know, Agatha Christie, uh, the villain is often unknown, and uh, the whole course of the book is to basically come to the point where they find out who the villain is. Um... But let me put that a slightly different way. When I say the villain is unknown, um, the villain can actually be, and often is, a major character throughout the book. But what's really unknown is the fact that he or she is the villain. You know, that's the big reveal at the end. In contrast, though, a lot of suspense novels and crime novels, um, the way the author approaches those, Uh, the villain can be known throughout the entire story. Um, And that has sort of two components to it. Sometimes the the villain is known to the reader, but the people in the story don't really know who he or she is. Um, Or sometimes even everybody, both the reader and the characters in the book, know who the villain is and they're, you know, racing to stop him or her from doing something bad. Sort of like a cat and mouse game. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, there are other types of characters flesh out the story too that appear in mystery and suspense. And for the one example that that I'm not fond of is the unpredictable narrator that creates suspense because her of her very unreliable memory or temperament or self-destructive addictions using drugs or alcohol, uh, or engaging in risky behaviors. Flynn's Gone Girl and Hawkins Girl on the Train are two examples. The author withholds key information 
and provides conflicting descriptions or narratives to confound the reader. The femme fatale is another character who threatens the stability of the status quo. You know, the whole idea of a black widow who's murderous or emasculating. Any female that steps outside the bounds of the norms are dangerous. Whether described as a beautiful seductress or a bedeviling witch, she's deadly. Lady Lady Macbeth is the most famous example that I can think of. And there are two more modern uh, examples, Lisbeth Salander and Stieg Larsson's Girl with the Dragon Tattoo trilogy. She does a pretty good job of transforming from a victim to Avenger. Yeah, she basically kicks ass. Excuse me yeah. for that. <laughs> I didn't know if I could say that. <laughs> it's our podcast. Why not? <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan of unpredictable or unreliable narrators either. Um, although I have to admit, um, as an author, it must be really hard um, to write uh, a book with an unreliable narr- narrator. So props to the people who do it. Mm-hmm. So um, speaking of unreliable narrator, you know, that, that gets in a lot to the idea of point of view. Um, that's a real important consideration um, that authors have to make a, a decision about when they begin to write a, the book. And basically what point of view means is who tells the story? Um, Who tells the story to the reader? In Ed McBain's novels, um, it's a first-person point of view. Uh, The reader sees the story entirely through the detective Spencer's eyes. If Spencer doesn't know something, the reader doesn't know it either. So, you know, you only see everything as if you were inside his head. Uh, I write my Alexa Williams series from her point of view as well, but it's in third person. So it's a little tiny bit more removed than um, the first person point of view. Um, But I refer to Alexa in the books as she. Um, But also, uh, you don't know things um, other than as they come to her, as they happen to her. There are other novels that are written in multiple points of view. Um, as a, we were just talking about with the villain, um, there are books that are written where you know one chapter is through the hero's eyes, the next chapter is through the villain's eyes, um, and they flip back and forth. Um, there's a, a famous um, Japanese movie, movie called Rashomon, Um, that tells a different story, tells one story, but it tells it through several several characters' point of view. So, um, you know, that's another technique that can achieve a certain end. Um, And I've seen movies like that as well. Uh, You know, my thought is that, that sometimes when I read books that have too many points of view, uh, you can get confused about, um, you know, who's talking at any given point in time. So it is a, a real um, skill to master well um, multiple points of view, especially if you're going more for more than just two. Um, and, and there is yet a different kind of point of view, uh, which is called um, a, a omniscient point of view. 
Um, and that's almost like uh, the narrator is, you know, one of the gods up on Olympus or or elsewhere who can see everything unfold and who knows what all the characters are thinking. Um, this approach is more common in o- older works of fiction than um, in today's fiction. And authors also use other techniques like symbols and metaphors to communicate theme, which is the underlying message the author conveys. Um, the quotes that they, many authors use at the start of their novel can give us some insight into theme. Sometimes themes, symbols, and metaphors are so common in mystery and suspense that they can become cliches, you know, like the knocking at the door, signs of Satan, the occult, witches, pentagram, dragons, ghosts, demonic possession, the insane, the delusional. Uh, these are all the usual uh, symbols and metaphors. Um, and here again, I'm going to use Dan Brown as an example in the Da Vinci Code. Um, there are a number of um, those kinds of symbols that readers have to like figure out in order to get to the next stage. And then there are authors like Stephen King, Daniel Koontz, and Diana Gabilon. Gabadon, they're experts at incorporating these tropes. But authors use, also use their titles, um, allusions to other well-known writers, especially Shakespeare, Milton, and Blake, and to add layer upon layer of suspense if the reader understands the illusion. Yeah, so there's, there, you know, there's standard um, tropes. Um, you know, sometimes, as, as Joan says, they can be overused. Sometimes they're very effective because they they telegraph to the reader easily what uh, you know what you want them to to be concluding from those um, examples and from those metaphors. But also, symbols and metaphors can be highly individualized to an author or even to a particular story or novel. Uh, for those of you who are Jack Reacher fans you know that he only owns the clothes that he's wearing. He's always going into a store and buying a new shirt. Then he'll throw the dirty one away. Lee Childs, I believe, is using Reacher's lack of possessions to symbolize something larger about his personality, about his approach to life. It's just not about the clothes. Well, and that's the point, actually. The whole idea of a thriller lends suspense because the reader expects the unexpected, which usually appears in the form of violence. And violence is a part of the mystery, horror, and suspense. And that adds to, it has to be one of the elements because violence in our culture builds suspense in a novel. In our reality, murders are caused, causes suspense because a killer is a threat. Mystery fans know that someone the victim knows commits most murders. Stalkers may not may or may not know their victims, but a number of killers had dominating or abusive mothers, and we could there's a whole host of examples that we could provide uh, of the different types of of violence, um, uh, including myself, who have used those elements in their novels, in their mystery and suspense novels. Uh, psychologists uh, are brought in whose expertise is in profiling. As an example on TV, Criminal Minds and Mind Hunters 
the TV series establishing the behavioral science unit. <clears throat> but abnormalities such as this can uh, lead to any, any one of us really to kill, but we really don't have the time today to go into the kind of depth that I would like to go into for um, for the discussion on violence. But I think that we might uh, use that uh, as a, a topic and other various elements of the compelling mystery novel for a future broadcast. But I think we've almost run out of time for today. Um, these elements all form a whole, which is that of the novel that Sherry and I have discussed. If we as authors have done a good job, the reader won't think about any of these pieces because these literary elements should blend into a seamless whole, which is the finished book. And what we want the readers to do or to say or to write on Amazon and Goodreads is, I love the book. I couldn't put it down. Kept me on the edge of my seat. When is the next book in the series coming out? That's right. Yeah, the, those are the the best reviews or the best contacts with readers. Well, Jody's right. Um, that's about all we have time for today. Um, we hoped you enjoyed hearing about some of the the aspects of uh, you know mystery novels, of suspense novels, and things we as authors think about as we're um, writing a, a mystery uh, or, or writing. A suspense novel, and in fact, um, you know, uh, we'll be telling you a little bit in, in a minute here how to get in touch with us. But we'd certainly like feedback on these podcasts from those of you who um, are listening to us. If you have uh, any ideas uh, about uh, things that you'd like us to to take on as a podcast topic, or um, you know, su- uh, some feedback on. Uh, whether these are interesting topics that we're using so far, um, please get in touch with us. And this is a reminder to all you readers out there and all you listeners in Radio Land. Our books are available at Sunbury Press's online bookstore, at Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, and other online book retailers and bookstores. And a special thanks to everybody out there listening to the Milford House Mysteries. We hope you enjoyed our program. Our next program is on August 2nd at 2 p.m. 2 at 2. That's easy to remember. Um, <laughs> then we will have uh, an editor from Sunbury Press, Jen Capello, who will be joining us, and we will be talking to, uh, asking her questions about her view or her perspective as an editor of books and uh, see what she has to tell us. I think that should be interesting. Well, um, until then, uh, or if you want to give us some of that feedback I mentioned, you can follow us on social media. Um, I'm on the web at www.sherrynolton.com, plus I have a Facebook author page, um, and I'm on Twitter. And I'm on Facebook page, too. It's facebook.com backslash Carlisle Crime Cases by J.M. West. And my new website is Carlisle Crime Cases, run together but with capital C's, dot com. That's CarlisleCrimeCases.com. Until next time. See you all. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.